Hello, my name is Alex Lightman. I'm the director of upcoming interactive horror film Nightbook, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod. It's another Alien Day special. That's right, I think this is our eighth edition of the Alien Day special. I'm Angus, your host. I don't always introduce myself, but I thought I would have to remind myself to do so this year. And yes, we're celebrating Alien once again for 426. That's uh, in the American date format. There aren't that many countries around the world that use that date format. But if you do, if you're in American Samoa, Canada, Greenland, Guam or Kenya. <laughs> Happy Alien Day. Does Julia use it? No. There's a long list on Wikipedia where I got these oh, statistics okay. from that use this date format for certain reasons. All of them strange and unusual. America probably most famously. But anyway, yes. <laughs> that other voice you can hear is one of our usual co-hosts, Natalie. Hello. And we're also joined as usual by Craig. That is the most researched intro I've ever seen on this podcast. Indeed, indeed. I'm really trying this year. And I have introduced over 200 of them. Oh, I thought you meant the Alien Day ones specifically. Well, those two. I think you're always really good at researching things. Not the intro. Not the intro. Fall flat on my face at the first hurdle. I love it. Well, hello. <laughs> I'm excited for our eighth, eighth? Eighth in this year. Oh, yeah. Technically final in the Alien franchise. Technically final. I'm sure we'll find other things to discuss, but this year we're talking about Alien colon Covenant. <laughs> the sequel to Prometheus, the prequel to Alien, perhaps. We've all watched it recently and we we're all going to talk about it. We watched it yesterday and I have to be honest, I've not stopped thinking about it. Oh, really? <laughs> this could be very good or very bad. I'll let you decide. Okay, first up, I've got space in the agenda for some plugs. So before we dive into Alien Covenant, Craig, do you have anything that you would like to plug? this alien day not really just reviews of the winchesters picard i reviewed ant-man and the wasp quantumania i'm trying to remember when this is actually coming out picard <laughs> will be about finished by then 426 of course yeah we're two months ahead of it almost as we record or more than he's breaking the fourth wall i know we're very prepared who knows what i've done in the next two months that could be anything maybe i've interviewed patrick Stewart and he's called me an idiot because i don't like his show i don't know <gasps> I hope that you manifest that and it comes true. Dream big. Yeah. And Natalie, do you have anything to plug for late April? For late April? No, but I thought that you would have joined me in a song by now. Oh, we're, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We'll get to that. I really can't wait. And I feel like Craig doesn't know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I know what's coming. I'm excited. I definitely don't. That's the beauty of not hosting. Okay, well, plug's over. Not very much to plug. I didn't have anything to plug. Forget about myself. But yes, nothing to plug here. Let's dive into Alien Covenant and some spoiler-free thoughts. Craig, let's go to you first. Yeah, it's not good, is it? It's really it's not good. 
<laughs> I wonder what happened to Ridley Scott because he used to be such a good filmmaker and he's made a lot of dreck later in his career. I remember when The Martian came out being really impressed that it was good. It's just not good as a entry in the franchise, as an alien prequel, as a Prometheus sequel. It's just not good. There's so many awful and weird and stupid things that go on here. Okay, and Natalie, what do you think? I was about to start singing another song there, but Hamilton might come after us. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be copyright free. Yeah, okay. The line was going to be just you wait for <laughs> finding out really how this came to be. Because I wasn't exaggerating. I've really been thinking about this since yesterday. We sat down, we had the movie on, and I was kind of like, have I seen this before? And I was kind of convinced that I hadn't seen it. But the more I think about it, I'm like, maybe I did and I just completely dissociated. <laughs> I was sure you had seen it. <laughs> and pushed it in my brain because I feel like we would have been podcasting about the Alien franchise when this came out. Because it came out in 2017. Yes, it came out in 2017. And we've done these every year. So we would have been like two aliens deep by this point. Craig, can you confirm that? I haven't checked what the release dates of the Alien podcast are. I will find out for later in the show. It but makes we would sense. Have seen it, at some point. it makes sense if this is our eighth year in a row. Also, congratulations, us. <laughs> <laughs> for doing something for eight years. Yeah, that's consistency. 2017 was how many years ago? Six. <laughs> okay, then yes, we were probably talking yeah. about aliens. So I feel like I would have gone to see it at the cinema, but somehow have pushed everything out of my brain about the film. The first released podcast from Neil Before Pod was in 2016. Huh, but we have definitely been doing this. Wait, have we missed any out? No. <laughs> we have to have been doing this every year. We have. We started doing alien films in 2016. Well, wait a minute. 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23. Yeah, 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 2016. It was a Halloween special, the original. When we originally did it, then we moved it to Alien Day. Bit of inside history there for us all. So wow. we've been doing these for a while. A trip through the archives. Yeah, thank you, Craig. Bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I was about to say, I don't know if I found anything redeemable about the film, but it did make me scuffle <laughs> at some point. <laughs> that I'm like, is that maybe something? Because there was nothing else about it other than me being like, wow, they're really doing that. That kind of tracks with my thinking as well. I remember looking forward to this. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> because... Prometheus was a disappointment and again we've talked about this sort of thing many times on this podcast not just specifically about the Alien franchise but about many films where you think afterwards was that a good film and I'm dumb or was that a bad film <laughs> and it was just a bad film and I didn't like it and I think that's how I came out of Prometheus and thought oh why did that have to be like that why was it so confusing and then I got my hopes up again for Covenant because I thought the trailer looked good I think that they showed a few interesting images and there was enough about it that made you think okay i could get behind this concept behind this idea and then watching it again reminded me of how i felt watching it the first time of how much i wanted it to succeed and wanted it to be good but there were just like you said too many head shaking moments where you think mm. why would they do that why would anyone <laughs> do this these are supposed to be <laughs> trained professionals and they're behaving like yeah teens in a slasher yeah. movie yeah it's almost a relatively early example of that nostalgia baiting that we all hate so much at the moment. It's the, hey, remember that stuff you liked? Well, here it is again, but not as good. Even then, though, it's a stretch. I have to say, though, I think Slasher is quite a good description of this film. Even thinking back to the OGs, this actually felt horrorful. Mm -hmm. 
and horrible. <laughs> there was definitely a bit where I was like, oh, is that too far? And I love gory movies, although maybe I've not watched so many recently, but I definitely have space for them. But I just don't know if I have space for how this franchise have now done that. And I don't want to go into any spoilerific spaces, so <laughs> I'll leave it at that until we... Well, it is funny. We've said it, plenty of other places have said it as well, that Alien was the sort of haunted house in space, slasher movie, sci-fi crossover. I don't remember feeling as just depressed by characters' behaviours mm. when you're <laughs> dealing with people who, as I said, are supposed to be professionals. The mm. first one, it's space truckers. How do they deal with an alien on board their ship? Then you get the Marines and, okay, they get decimated pretty easily, but at least they're behaving the way that you would expect people in that profession yeah. to behave. Yeah. And then this one is just so weird. I don't know why they turned up the slapstick almost. Do you think they have character? No. The people? No, and I think we'll get to that as well. <laughs> okay. I think we're probably getting to the point where we're going to need a spoiler alert so that we can dive properly into this and begin discussing some of the finer details. We should get Mother to sort that out for us. Yeah, she's still rebooting after that electrical storm though. <laughs> Also, the Aliens podcast was 2017, so we podcasted about Aliens the same year this came out. There we go. Oh, that is a fun fact. I don't know when this came out in the year. I feel like it was later in the year. It was later than April anyway. Not January. I feel like that's a fun fact for our listeners. And I also think that our listeners should revisit all of our Alien podcasts, which is what I wanted to do, actually, because I feel like, am I going to repeat myself? Yes, definitely. I'm going to go back and listen to it to see if I can hear that hopeful note in my voice oh, when no. we say, and of course, Alien Covenant's coming out this year, which is going to be a real turn up after Prometheus. Oh. And then the depressing Alien 3, well, this is bad, and Alien Covenant was out last year. Incredible. Yeah. I remember watching Resurrection again and thinking, I used to think this was good and better than Alien 3 and then being so disappointed by that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So it's been the definition of diminishing returns. We've been on a journey, that's for sure. Yes, we have. Oh my god, but have we? I feel like I've not gone anywhere with this at all. Well, we discovered that AVP is quite good. That's something we learned. Okay, mother, hit the spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Should I do like a fake mother sound? Yes. Like, hee-haw. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T-minus 10 minutes. The option to override automatic detonation expires in T-minus 5 minutes. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like mother. Okay, so now that we're in spoilerific territory, we can discuss all points of the plot you can feel free to say anything and everything about anything you noticed i can't believe james franco was in the film for 10 seconds that and is- it was just as a really poorly shot poorly acted video clip that was poorly cried over what about that it's just before he got his arm stuck under a rock yes it is 127 hours crossover it's in the same universe that's my first initial thought and it's one of the first notes Natalie, are you able to give us a synopsis of the plot? Can you remember what happens in this <laughs> right. movie? I think that's a really excellent challenge. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so I think that it started with Guy... Uh, what's his name? Oh, no, what's nope, that guy's on name? You go. Guy Ritchie? No, what's his name? <laughs> Mr. Madonna. No, what's his name? Who's that guy? The actor. That guy. The actor who plays Wayland. Guy Pierce. Pierce. Guy Pierce, I almost said that. Okay. Richie's the director. So, Guy Pierce? 
is old and he's talking and commanding a really nice AI to get him cups of tea and they're looking at fake mountains and then talking about existence and then the AI names himself David and it's all like so powerful because it's like the sculpture and it's the origin of the species so then we're like okay we're set this is kind of picking up from Prometheus you think Save it's things. like a, a rumination on creation and creator, the relationship between <laughs> creator and progeny? Yeah, if you've got words and you can use them like that, that's exactly like that. Okay, I just want to interject. <laughs> Are you I'm going just to in the, the synopsis in this minutes. granular detail? I'm in the first two minutes okay. where... Okay, go. We could be here a while. Ridley Scott's name appears at some point and you're like, wow, he's put his name to this. And then it cuts to a ship and another David... But it's actually Walter, who's a new guy, but he looks the same as David. Who plays him? Fastbender. And then somehow they decide to have made a ship that has gold sails that are only out in one direction. And then it gets shockwaved and everything gets fried, like my accidental work computer. And I'm really sorry about that. That is a true fact from today. Please keep that in. And then everyone wakes up. Somebody, James Franco, can't get out of his shell and burns somehow inside his shell. So that's actually quite amazing because if you ever had a fire on board, like if your toaster went on fire, you just put it in one of those things because it would contain it. It's quite incredible. You'd have to carry the burning toaster though. That would be a problem. You just put it into that little capsule. It's incredible. And there's no emergency procedure for what happens <gasps> if a fire starts in one of these. It's just hit it with the closest axe you yeah, can find. Which would which just go work. into his face. It's a bit like in that film Passengers, there's no contingency for. What if one of the pods malfunctions? Just absolutely wild. And that's a spoiler alert. Thank you, Cook, because I've not seen that film. So then we've learned that James Franco somehow was the captain of the ship. (laughs) And that the secondary person who's the captain is someone who says that he was never going to be the captain because of his religious beliefs, because somehow you can't be a scientist and a religious person. But then I'm like, but you are now the captain. So that was obviously, you're still up for that role and then his wife is kind of sad but she's not really that sad she's quite sad i'm gonna speed up because obviously this is gonna take forever the summary takes longer than watching the actual film yeah and i was like better though (laughs) (laughs) so somehow daniels is the wife of franco i keep wanting to say franco manco just because i've got pizza on the brain and then she's upset at the new captain who's a religious guy because he's an absolute fanny and then they discover that someone's singing john denver in a helmet when they're trying to fix the gold sails and then they're like wow there's a planet that's even better than earth how did we miss it it's only a few weeks away fast forward they've all made the decision except for daniels to go to this planet which seems incredible which is stupid And then they decide, even though it's stormy on the planet, to go down to the planet in a little shuttle. And then they decide to go out without any hazmat suits on because somehow they've, I don't know, scientifically terraformed and mapped the place that everything's fine. It turns out that the fungi, or fungi, I should say, are incredible. And they look like little wolf fart mushrooms, which are real. So I love that. And then all the spores mix with the people and then get through their ear holes and into their systems and turn them into horribly colored. They're like purple and blue 
and grey people and then they just convulse blood everywhere and then have spines coming out their back and somehow people are like, oh, we need to bring them on the ship. No, you don't. <laughs> Why would you bring them on the ship? And somebody does raise a really good question, but I don't know which character it was. Do we have a quarantine thing in place? There is no answer to that because they don't. Of course they don't. So then somehow, oh my God, absolute maniacs. No one can do their job right. Someone slips some blood, shoots the ceiling, then gets their foot caught in a door, and then we learn that the aliens are on this planet and they've just been birthed out of the body of someone, and then now they're loose. Okay, that's good so far. So that's the first ten minutes of the film. Yeah, it's, that's all very early on. So basically, I don't know what the plot is. Well, you've described the intro. I feel like uh, I could keep going. On the mysterious planet, that crew encounters the deadly parasitic alien life. They're saved by David, the android survivor of the Prometheus crew. This is how it ties into the the previous movie. Who crashed on the planet with Elizabeth Shaw. (gasps) He looks like a Jedi. He's got long hair. He looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm -hmm. So those two (laughs) characters from the previous movie are mentioned. He's there. He doesn't really save them, but they go with him anyway. That's possibly another strange decision on their part. By the time those people go, though, like four of the main characters have died. Are they main characters, though? Well, they're main body crew. Four people that are there have died. All three people that were left on the shuttle have exploded. There's no promise because there's a storm on the planet. And then they're just trusting the Walter double. Yes. So then we have to work out what is going on. Why is David here? How's he got a body? What's he been doing? What's all this experimentation? What are all these weird... How's he got a body because he was last just a head in a bag? Yes. A lovely smiley little head in a bag. That was one of my favourite bits. So then we get all kinds of alien griblies, neomorphs, xenomorphs, maybe. Um, Are those all their names of the different stages? Yep. They're like the Teletubbies. They've all got different names. Hmm. And the crew eventually has to battle David and aliens and try and blast off and save themselves. And the colonists on the ship, you didn't mention that they were... the colonists. They had thousands of colonists that they were going to try and colonise a new planet. And embryos. Lots of embryos. embryos. What we're going to do with those embryos when they got there is never explained, but there's embryos. Is that supposed to kind of tie into body horror? Or well, the embryos. Other themes? No, they don't ever explore it. I don't know. Are the female colonists getting forcibly impregnated when they get there so that they can have children? Are they just incubators? Yeah. Don't know. Never no explained. One, it sounds like they're actually colonists and they're just going because they think it's their right to go and take over another space. Which is quite interesting because at the very end we see that that's also what David thinks that he can do. I don't know, this is an aside thing, but I definitely was thinking about colonists, colonisation, how this is basically a thing of you shouldn't do it because it's bad. And then I started thinking about viruses. They're basically viruses and they're fighting viruses and maybe the aliens are radical cells. What I think is strange is that, as we've already discussed, there's slasher horror inept crew members attempting to deal with alien antagonists. That's all very blood and guts and gore. And it's kind of coupled up with this weird creation religion. They're trying to sort mm-hmm. of sprinkle all this meaningful beard-stroking, <laughs> navel-gazing-y kind of worthy <laughs> stuff on top of it. And I don't think that it really achieves what it's trying to with all that stuff. Do you think it is trying then? I definitely think that... Is that, that why it's so painful to watch? It feels as if you can see the writers congratulating themselves for talking about being creative and Mm, seeing mm. the fruits of their labours and the creativity. Craig, what do you think? I think it's a weird, structured 
thing, this film, because, like I said, it is almost an early example of that nostalgia pandering, and it's, okay, you didn't like Prometheus, I wanted to make that cerebral film about creation and God and all that stuff, but... Okay, you want xenomorphs, you want a short-haired, badass female lead, sure, have that. Yeah, but it has to be good, and none of what you gave us here was good. And the film is completely all over the place. It feels like it's split into 15, 20-minute chunks where different things are happening, and none of them really connect to each other. I was actually really into it for the first 20 minutes or so, the whole damage control aspect of it when the ship was hit by whatever that shockwave was and they're trying to deal with the aftermath of that i thought that was really interesting as a kind of triage we're screwed the captain's dead i've never been a captain before but i'm going to be in charge even though i'm not confident and i'm not projecting any confidence to the people that are under my command so therefore failing as a captain immediately it's, you're the captain because i don't know someone said so before we left oh but i don't want to be captain i suck at it yeah but you're the captain so screw it maybe there's someone more confident that could give it a go i don't know yeah, and presumably this character would have known that he was second in command would have had training would have had to prove himself to be yeah. able to hold that position except yeah it seems as if he's never considered that this could happen and is entirely unprepared for it unless it was all a trap and they were sent there to be oh, yeah. intercepted. how much of it was part of david's plan <laughs> i think they just stumbled into it which when you consider how big space is is a bit of a stretch. But do you think back home that they were sent as an offering? I'm saying that only because of how untrained everyone seems. I don't think so, because the film doesn't really make that clear. Contrast that with the first Alien film, where Mother was programmed to send them into that situation mm. if they detected something. Yeah. It's weird though because I feel like we're now trained to try and read between the lines so much because of how nebulous Prometheus was that you're like, oh, well, clearly the intent of the filmmakers was <laughs> that we're supposed to feel this or we're supposed to assume this about them. And I don't think that's very good because sometimes it is good to not be spoon fed, but at least have the film show you what it's trying to show you rather than let you guess or interpret it in some way. It just seems like they stumbled into that signal and then everything happened from there. I'd quite like to see characters not do dumb shit. <laughs> it was interesting what you said about Ridley Scott's course correction after Prometheus. Do you think this is like George Lucas with the Star Wars prequels, claiming that everything was all planned out from the beginning, but really he's actually having to take on board the flack that he got for the previous instalment. I think it's more egregious than that because it is clearly just built to pander to people that didn't like Prometheus, but I don't think there's an understanding of why people didn't like Prometheus. So we get this instead. You think it was for people who didn't like Prometheus? A hundred percent, yeah. Ridley Scott wanted to do a trilogy of Prometheus-esque films. But it feels very much like Prometheus to me. Like, it's Prometheus, but with more horror. I think there's elements of it that do link to Prometheus. You have the David and Wayland opening scene and the mention here and there but it also does feel like they've just forced different things in as well yeah, just yeah. to pander to people that didn't like Prometheus. Yeah some of that stuff does seem a bit grafted on and as you say it's as if the script was rewritten and you get the kind of remnants of the more philosophical stuff but you know that they needed to say right get a bunch of colonists or a bunch of crew members on a planet somewhere and have aliens rip them apart. I think he did it as a joke. It's quite an expensive joke. But do you think this is kind of like him being like, well, fuck you, if I can't make my Prometheus 2, the grave, then I'll just give you absolute over-the-top horror slasher stuff, if that's going to be what you're after. Instead of striking a balance or finding any semblance of 
a storyline just being like okay you can have wide written and you can have your tick box of 10 slasher deaths quickly one after the other were there any of the nods or homages to the previous films in the franchise that you liked craig no i didn't like any of them no you just saw them as being cheap pandering yeah the ending sequence with the xenomorph on the ship we had a whole film basically about them chasing a xenomorph around the ship and then this it's less than 15 minutes in fact they built a whole second act around them wandering around systematically searching the ship and in this it's where is it oh it's there i can see it in the camera mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and then it doesn't carefully stalk people and take them out one by one it kills the couple in the shower and then that's about it that's all who's left no one else is left there was a few people left it killed everybody in the caves in increasingly dumb ways there was a i forget who there was a few people left on the ship at that point there was what's her name in front of the jcb good to see they're still running in 100 years <laughs> yes daniels played by in, catherine waterston that's the one it set in 2013 2014. No, it's set in 2104, isn't it? This one. Why did I think it was like 2014? <laughs> Have you been through this already? <laughs> Have you seen something like this happen? Right enough, we are frequently going on hypersleep journeys into space. And... No, but what year is the first one set in? The first alien? Mm-hmm. However many years after this one? It's 24 or something. The 25th century, maybe? It's hundreds of years from now. And when is Prometheus set? 10 years before this one. So 1994. <laughs> <laughs> no. 2094, perhaps. That's maybe one of the reasons why I didn't get on with it from the get-go. I was literally like, this is 2014. This is wild. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching it like some sci-fi movie from the 80s that's set in like 2006. <laughs> so I was like, maybe they've had... I couldn't remember when the first Alien had come out. So I was thinking, okay, so what? This is like 100 years before Alien. But actually... It's 100 years before anything. BC. No. It was 100 years before Prometheus. Wait, when was Prometheus again? This was 10 years after Prometheus. Alien is set in 2122. So there we go. 2122? Yeah, so that's like... So that's the 22nd century. Can't do math. 18 years after this film? 2122. Well, that's really close. I was about to be like, wow, maybe everything looks really old because it's been 100 years. Maybe that's why the alien is so much more but it doesn't refined. Look, it's got that kind of Star Wars prequel problem with... Everything looks newer than things mm-hmm. that happen in films that take place in the timeline years later. I can sort of parse that as in the Nostromo is probably a really old ship. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The colony ship was probably a lot newer. So you can imagine the Nostromo's been in service for decades. Yeah, I mean, if it's only 20 years and not 300, then yeah. Yeah. I also wrote down Star Wars. And I think my note is very basic because I was thinking so fast that I couldn't write down as fast. But my note was just... Star Wars with the four, five, six, and the one, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) Which was in my head because I was like, okay, we've gone back in time to now uncover the origins. But then I was like, we still need the Rogue One to explain all of the things that we didn't understand (laughs) or have questioned. I hope that we get our version of Rogue One that can tie everything together and explain why the ship on the planet is the ship from the original alien makers. What are they called? The big stone people. The engineers. The engineers. Except it can't be because in LV-426, the ship has been there for a very long time, like millions of years. But isn't it on the original planet? Maybe it's going to be like when Obi-Wan went to Tatooine looking like Ewan McGregor and then at the beginning of <laughs> A New Hope, he looks like Alec Guinness and you're like, what happened to 
you are the ship. <laughs> How did it age so horribly? <laughs> <laughs> or it falls through a time portal or something. I don't yeah. Know. But that was the thing. The xenomorph eggs and things like that, they were all there for a very long time. So there's no way these can lead into the events of that. I don't know, something's afoot. And if it's only been 20 years, I think anything's possible. And if David created the xenomorphs, which it's kind of hinted mm-hmm. at, Unless there's a parallel evolution of that species. Well, I'd have thought about that. I think he was just following the work that other people had done. So he was recreating it. Right. Mm-hmm. Getting to the xenomorph was about him understanding the notes and stuff that were left behind. So he was just mm-hmm. following that progression and he got to the same place. That's what I thought. I think it progresses beyond, though, but maybe that's just because I didn't understand all the different kind of aliens. But it feels like they undergo a very quick evolution while they're there. With each new host that they take on, they've gone to like the mega mega spike back venom version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because in Alien, it's young and it takes a good few hours for it to mature, doesn't it? Whereas in this, it seems like it's minutes. Yeah, and it's really small. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been inconsistent throughout the franchise. And anytime we see something that differs a bit from Alien, Aliens, established timelines, we call it out and think, well, why is it like that now? And the more confusing it gets, the more confused we get. <laughs> you just tie yourself in knots thinking about, right, is this a particular type of hybrid or is this because it's from a spore? What were the conditions that caused this particular mm-hmm. variation? When it comes out of an idiot, it's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, it takes on the traits of the people. Comes out of an idiot. <laughs> Doesn't it come out of a cat or a cow or something in one of them? A dog or a cow, depending on the cut in Alien 3. <gasps> Is that why I've got those things in a dog or a cow? What a choice. Coming out of a cat would be an interesting one. It might kill you, it might not. You'll never know. Yeah, it might just leave you alone and go and mind its own business. Go and have a sleep. What a cat? Yeah, cat alien. Mm, that'd be cute. You distract it with a laser pointer. It's fine. Well, I thought that some of the blatant rip-offs or homages, timely, well-thought-through homages to the rest of the franchise kind of worked in some ways. The intro, I remember watching this the first time, the credits, the credit font and the little hints of the alien score that come up. Again, I was in a very hopeful mood watching it. <laughs> thinking, oh, here we go, this is setting me up. It was ticking all the right boxes for me. I enjoyed that and I didn't see it as being cheap nostalgia baiting or pandering it was kind of setting me up it was having the desired effect on me anyway but then the more that you watch it and the more by the book or by the numbers you see things happening like the unexpected event arouses the crew from cryo sleep is this what you meant by say the plot well no i'm just saying that these particular aspects where you're like okay well that comes directly from another movie or that's so similar that it's enjoyable because i recognize it but for me to enjoy an alien movie where the exact same things happen again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be watching The Force Awakens and think, okay, it's just a rehash of a movie I've already seen, or this is a kind of melting pot of moments and stuff from other alien movies. I also meant, just in that very brief description from the plot, the crew wake up, I was like, oh, I did not condense it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were talking about the colour of their jumpsuits. <laughs> There's the rogue transmission. They try and change it up and there's a little bit of tie-in from Prometheus, the way things are visualised, but they pick up a rogue transmission in Alien. Same thing happens here. Are you supposed to think, oh, this is something I recognise. This is what makes me like these movies. Is that what I'm supposed to feel about that? I don't know, but I've seen it before. Is that what makes an Alien movie? 
I don't know. It's a pale reflection though, isn't it? It's following those beats, but it doesn't have the same substance that you remember. The original Alien film isn't interesting because they pick up a rogue transmission. Uh-huh. The original Alien film is interesting because it develops a mystery and you get a sense of who the characters are. Whereas in this, even though I probably enjoyed this part of the film the most, it's a bunch of indistinct people sitting around explaining why the ship doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What part did you enjoy the most? The early scenes where it's, oh God, the ship's broken. What are we going to do? I'm a captain who's useless. What are we going to do? I wouldn't say it was great, but it was probably the best the film had to offer. But it is that pale reflection of what Alien did in terms of you're introduced to all these characters, you're introduced to this mystery, you get a lot of world building through just how they go about their tasks as they're waking up and things. Well, you don't really get that here. They just wake up and then they're having a meeting about two minutes later. Yeah, and what's weird about it as well is if it was a different director kind of aping Ridley Scott, you'd be like, okay, well, you could see them kind of piecing it together and thinking, right, this is the bit where we have to go around the crew and we show you a bit about each of them and we introduce them. And it's a pale imitation of the original. But it is Ridley Scott doing it again, so it's not like you've got any excuses for why would you try and get away with that or why would you do it again but not as good. You nailed it 30 years ago. Go watch your own film for inspiration. Yeah. I've also got down that Elizabeth Shaw from Prometheus, we're told that she dies in the crash onto this planet we later find out that that's not true but the character still dies off screen which is a bit like some of the main characters from aliens hicks and newt who Mm. who die off screen in the transition from aliens to alien 3 newt dies yep mostly although numi rapace does cameo doesn't she i think she actually filmed the transmissions i wonder if she had a larger role that was just cut yeah there's rumors and things out there if you're listening and you're interested i haven't done the research but the internet is out there so you can Mm -hmm. go and research it yourself if you really want to but i believe there was some behind the scenes cutting and pasting some of the franco stuff as well i think that happened with there were things that were posted on youtube apparently i mean scenes that were shot Mm. that were like here's additional material that is supporting of our movie but it's not in the movie so if you want to go and see it somewhere else go and do that yourself well i kind of am interested maybe it's interesting that elizabeth shaw makes an appearance as saint bernadette she's pretty much a wax cast (laughs) but with her innards on the outwards the outer (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's actually quite obscene in outer space no one can hear you scream yeah well done. <laughs> <laughs> is it more or less obscene than her weird giving birth in the previous film? No, I think that that's her handling that situation. I feel like having her body presented and splayed open for the nosy Daniels to come and find. Is it Daniels who finds her? I think or it's is it Walter, Walter that encounters her, yeah. And then realises, oh, she's not buried under that incredible stonemasonry work that David has done. When can he chisel rocks? He's a smart android. He's learned a lot of skills. Oh, yeah. Okay, I take it back. You see him in Prometheus riding a bike and playing basketball. Oh, we've not even talked about playing a flute. And the flute, the flute <laughs> scene. I think it's a recorder, isn't it? I'm going to go with a penny whistle. <laughs> it could have been any other instrument. And maybe it would have been slightly better. Tuba. <laughs> I was kind of like, does he even have capacity for breath? He's got capacity to grow his hair. Can he blow air? Did Elizabeth Shaw build him a new body or did he somehow build himself a new body? I think he says that she helped him get a new body, but you can't believe a word he says. She could have helped him by indirectly giving parts of her body to him. His body was still there, wasn't it? It was still in the ship. Can they breathe air? Can they move air through their body? 
Sure they can, because their whole point is they're to simulate humanity, aren't they? So you could probably take in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide. But is that why playing a wind instrument is so wow? Because they don't have lungs. You're tapping into, is it important that they've got the very breath of life flowing through them? (laughs) Is that making them a living being? Or is it possible that they don't breathe and they're just able to expel air somehow? So you could play it from any orifice really he could put it in his ear and just butthole yeah i mean you went there well it was gonna happen (laughs) i just wonder that scene is so cringy and i'm like why do i find it so cringy is it just because it is the ultimate cringe fest to see michael fassbender kiss himself (laughs) that's not what's cringy to me it's cringy that he's like I'll hold this instrument up to your face. In fact, it's not even that that scene exists, it's that it exists for such a huge part of the film. But by that time, Walter has had his hand bitten off, that's why I think he needs help with the fingering. No, it doesn't matter. That scene is like 20 minutes long. I don't think it is. It feels like 20 minutes long. It's too much of the film. I I was honestly like, how long is this going to go on for? One thing that should be required companion to this film is to listen to the section of the audiobook version of the film where they do that scene because it is hilarious i will put it in the show notes i think it <sighs> should be on youtube which is where i heard it years ago have you listened to this on audible no i didn't i just listened to that section because someone told me you have to hear this it's hilarious and they were right other audiobook platforms are available <laughs> but i think that section should be on youtube if it is it'll be in the show notes along with all these deleted scenes i'm like am i interested enough to click on that button or am I just happy to let it rest? You will not regret it, I assure you. But I feel like I regret watching the film, <laughs> which must have been for the second time in my life. But now that we're talking about it, it's making new synapses and I'll probably remember it for quite some time now and just don't know how I feel about that. I think that Michael Fassbender is one of the best things about this movie. He's a really good actor that's in a lot of bad films, isn't he? Yeah. I think his performance is really good and despite those scenes being weird as you've said i do find them strange i don't know if i find them cringy but it takes me out of the film because i'm more thinking about the actor and his process and all that kind of stuff <laughs> instead of enjoying what i'm watching at the time and just thinking oh he's a really great actor and i'm kind of enjoying watching his performance but not really as part of a narrative just more sort of this is something else this is some sort of art piece i find that really interesting because i think i disagree my personal viewing of it was that any time he was on screen with himself, I was just like, he's just acting. (laughs) It's just that classic thing where I was like, oh, can you tell that this is the back of the head of someone else? I was trying to figure that out. (laughs) Oh, who's got the same shaped head as Michael Fassbender? Oh, whose side profile is that? It was a different person every time, whoever they had. (laughs) Almost the same hairdo. Go and just stand in. It doesn't matter if your colour is a different colour. Just come in. I just feel like, I don't know if it's just not really done very well. And I'm saying that as a fan of SRK and SRK being Sherrick Khan, King Khan of Bollywood, who is in about 15 films with himself, where he's a twin or he's an accidental stranger from another village or he dies and is resurrected or whatever, multiple characters. I'm saying that as a fan of that, that seeing two Michael Fassbenders on the screen at the same time took me out of that scene. I felt really removed from it. 
I think he does a good job of characterising David and Walter as being different. When he plays David, he's really creepy at all times. There's just something unsettling about him. But Walter is really personable. It's because he's got the American accent. Well, you mean the kind of Irish American accent? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Michael Fassbender is not very good at covering up his accent. See him as Magneto and how often he goes full Irish. Oh, God. Yeah. See, that's another thing. Accents. Anyway, I'm going to just finish off my list of nods to the franchise. I'll rattle off these because we don't need to talk about every single one. But the alien eventually making its way onto the escape ship Mm -hmm. always happens. That's a key feature of an alien movie. We had some alien POV. That's kind of a callback to Alien 3. We've seen that running down hallways. And we got that alien vision and, I don't know, some sort of facsimile of what it must be like to see as an alien. Strange kind of watery, jelly-like view that they get when they're running around. When did that happen? Quite late on. It's two seconds. It's blinking, you'll miss it. I think I blinked. (laughs) Craig, you mentioned it. The old blow out the airlock trick, but this time we get the forklift variation. (laughs) So instead of just letting the vacuum of space do the work for you, you need to throw a forklift truck at the thing as well and impale it as well, just to be sure. Yeah, and that's after they killed one previously as well, which is a bit weird. Yeah. Were there any others? Anything that was ripped indiscriminately from earlier installments that you want to highlight at this stage. I guess you could say breaking quarantine because Ripley does that in the first one, doesn't she? She Mm -hmm. sort of abandons quarantine protocol to let John Hurt back on. Yep. It's a stretch though. It's probably not a deliberate homage. Yeah, and it feels kind of different because in that, I don't know, it felt kind of compassionate or you could see why a character would do that. Whereas in this one, there's just strange, strange decisions taken at every turn. Like the three characters who are at the dropship trying to deal with the security guy or the he's more of a kind of soldier character who gets infected. One of them locks the other one in the med bay with him. <laughs> And you're like, what benefit is this? Just but she'd been out with him. Questioning all of these strange... She'd been out with him, but she wasn't the one that just had blood spat on her face. They all should have quarantined. They both witnessed the backburster. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I don't know. This kind of transitions nicely, actually, into my next topic. Because I was thinking about dumb decisions. You've mentioned dumb things already, Natalie. And I was wondering if these word. are dumb decisions by dumb characters. And I guess, ultimately, that's dumb writers as well. <laughs> the dumb writers create dumb characters. Yeah, it's a dumb trifecta. Dumb, dumb, dumb. It's one of those things where everything happens to service the plot. Aaron isn't here to speak for himself, but he always references the plot force. And now you have people acting out of character or just counter to common sense in order to further the plot. So things like, how do we get the people infected? Well, they go out on the planet without spacesuits. But why would they do that? Because they need to get infected and so on. Every decision you can see furthers a section of the plot, but... It makes no logical sense for it to have happened that way. It's because they decided we need A, B, C to happen and this is how it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if these professional astronauts behave like they've never been in space before in their lives. Yeah, it's so strange because it's not as if you even get swept along in the narrative of the film and then only think about it later when you're kind of reflecting on it and thinking, oh, why did that happen? I remember thinking these things the very first time I watched it. How did they miss the habitable planet? I think that they kind of brushed that under the rug because obviously they've been looking for somewhere to go and colonize for a while. That just kind of crops up. I've got another one about the orders of the mission, about when they decide to divert and go to the habitable planet. And you're thinking, well, you've got all this cargo, you've got 2,000 colonists and embryos, and you've got this mission that's been planned in for however many years, and you've got another seven years to go. And they just think, oh yeah, let's go and check that out. There must be protocols that determine 
don't go out on a planet that you've got no idea about without a spacesuit. Yeah, suit but on. the religious guy has faith. Send a message back to Earth. By the way, habitable planet over here. You might want to check it out. But it takes one point three years for any mission to get back, though, or one point six or something like that. I'm like, okay, it's a few weeks. You could go and you can divert, I guess, because a few weeks and seven years, maybe that's not very much. But I feel like every single decision that seems to drive a stupid plot. If it was driving a really interesting plot or a captivating story, I think there would be some leeway for forgiveness for just how dumb all of these people are. Well, a good story will always make you forget about contrivances or not notice them. But this is immediately apparent. And this is the opposite. The whole time I was like, what are they doing? Why is the Tennessee so convinced that he needs to go through a storm that will destroy his ship that he's on to try and rescue some people. Because his wife's down there and they've shared five lines together by this point, maybe? (laughs) Even so, why would you then take yourself into what would be death? You would just wait. If you have to wait a few hours, you just wait a few hours. It's the same with when they originally go down on the dropship and there's a storm happening. Mm -hmm. Why brave that when (laughs) you could just wait for a bit? What is a few hours? Seriously, when you are in space. I think, you know, if there was something that demanded a bit more urgency, so if there was something in the plot that meant mm-hmm. that they really needed, mm-hmm. you know, ticking clock that they needed to get down there, then but it would hey, make sense. That comes in a bit more when Tennessee, played by Dynamite Bride, decides to, to take the ship down because there's already some jeopardy happening. But the very first time you think, why are they flying through this when they could have waited for the storm to pass? You could easily explain it by having a line... Something like, there's no signs of that storm dissipating. It could run for years because it's an alien planet. Why not? And then it's, well, we either leave it or go down, whichever. Yeah, there are ways around it. And it feels as if they just chose the dumbest route. Yeah. Yeah. When it starts raining and it's like, oh, it's rain. Well, it could be anything. It could be shards of silicon or something. I don't know. It could be anything it's when they walk out of the dropship and they're maybe wearing a scarf or something it's fine i remember i had this conversation with someone when the film came out and they countered it with well you like star trek how often did captain kurt beam down to a planet where he didn't know it? that's in star trek that isn't hard science fiction like this is supposed to be mm-hmm. and in star trek technology exists where they can scan stuff and say it's fine down there we'll be fine mm-hmm. and then they go down and also there's plots where oh crap there's a virus that we couldn't detect and we have to deal with that. So, again, that all comes in. But in the alien universe, it's always been hard science fiction. It's always been, we need to press buttons and worry about weight and all that stuff. Any practical consideration. So, of course you would go down to an alien planet, even if it seemed Earth-like. And you would wear a suit until you were sure safe. Yeah, I just don't get it. And I don't know what, I feel like I could literally talk for four hours about all of the things that I don't get about this film. <laughs> because I think about every single interaction between characters. I think about every single interaction with absolutely any inanimate object. Just thinking about, again, on that little ship that goes down to the island in the planet and... They've got the guy in fake quarantine. And I'm just thinking about that woman going to get a gun, comes back, slips on the blood. Two characters slip on the same pool <laughs> of blood. Shoots the ceiling. I don't know why, but I'm like, it's so stupid. I'm kind of okay with that by itself. No, if she was going to have to shoot anything, would you not stand at the doorway and just shoot? I quite like unpredictability in these things. And I quite like the idea that people aren't always really calm under pressure if she's flailing around because there's a weird alien thing trying to kill her and accidentally slips on blood because she's not paying that much attention 
I'm okay with that, especially if they had previously established that she's not really someone that knows how to use a gun. I mean, they didn't establish anything about her before that happened. In theory, that could be fine. She's a scientist and panicked and she instinctively reached for a gun and then that happened. And took herself into a small enclosed space rather than getting out of there. Yeah, well, again, it's not well established, but you could make that work. So much dumbness. I still think that the degree to which the sh- hits the fan at that Mm. point is beyond anything for professionals who are even if they're a scientist on a ship or a pilot on a ship or whatever Mm. they're not trained with weapons primarily they should still have skills that allow them to operate or they should still have a temperament that allows them to operate when things start going wrong any of these things could happen they're going to colonize a new planet they could encounter diseases or life forms or aliens or whatever it might be you'd think that they'd be trained to deal with these situations are naturally disposed to those things because aren't people who are supposed to go on these missions supposed to be put through a lot of rigorous testing and psychoanalyzing and all that kind of stuff that's what makes me think that they were just there to be sacrificed because they're so stupid yeah without it we wouldn't have a horror movie but you can still have competent people show that they're competent and then Mm. fall apart which i'm sure has happened in previous iterations of this people can panic it's a perfectly natural thing but they're in space There's that, and then there's also the new second captain. He's been sneaking around, he discovers some stuff in the cave house that is like a museum that David set up. Cave house museum? Cave house museum. He uncovers some creepy shit about David, and then sees David also having a moment with one of the aliens, and then David's like, this was going to be my friend. I was going to have him trust me, blah, 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 blah. And then he obviously he shoots him. Like That's after the captain, Orem, played by Billy Crudup, has already just seen the decapitated head of one of his other <laughs> crew members. Yeah, he, oh, yeah, he finds after. David and the alien <gasps> neomorph face oh, yeah. to face, having their moment weird face off. And his immediate reactions are so strange. It makes me think of May meeting Totoro. For the first time. When she climbs up his belly, touches his nose. What's your name? Totoro. Okay, cool. (laughs) This is what David and this alien is right now for me. They were just looking at each other, having a little moment. And I was like, are you a cat? Are you a slug? What are you? Shooting the Neomorph is probably the smartest decision he makes, actually. It's the Mm -hmm. only decision he makes. Well, no, he chooses to go into that planet. What else were you going to say? I was going to say that David probably then decides, right, you're going to be my first face to get hugged. But he probably would have done that anyway. Mm. Yeah. So even if... Orem hadn't shot the Neomorph. But yeah, I think you were kind of getting to that point. Oh my god. So Orem comes in, sees that his crewmate has been decapitated by an alien. Who also dies really dumbly. Yes. As a segue, by the way. That slow turnaround (sighs) of, wow, there's a thing behind me. And then it's vampiric, gets Mm -hmm. her neck bit, and then her head severed. So after that happens, Orem sees David and the Neomorph face to face, shoots it, kills it, and then... Proceeds to follow David and uh-huh. is fascinated by these alien eggs that he's got down there. <laughs> Doesn't he say, trust just, me? Just a little closer. Just a little closer. <laughs> Why don't you just put your face just over that there, e- oh, egg look. there? I've just proven myself to be suspicious and sketchy, but please follow me into my house of horrors where you will yeah. absolutely not end up impregnated by an alien creature. He says, trust me, or words to that effect. Don't worry about the dripping horror chamber. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see this? Look at that. Oh, look, it's opened up just for you. Oh, what's inside? Are we supposed to? Oh. I mean, I don't know if there's enough in the film to tell us that Orem, as a 
religious man is fascinated by this creation? Are we supposed to infer that that's why he's willing to go there and learn about this? Maybe. Everyone dies so fast. There's no time or space for reflection or for any of those thoughts. There's no moment where any of the characters is like, wow, I was so wrong about X, Y, and Z. Look what I've learned. Oh, too little, too late. There's no revelations because everyone dies. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I've got a note about that, about how we've got a few lead characters who aren't androids and the rest we don't learn anything really about. We see them die in horrific ways Mm. very quickly. I was thinking about it and about how you can have an ensemble cast. You can have like in Aliens, lots of people who are all similarly dressed. They're all wearing uniforms. They're all Marines. But it's cleverly made in the way that we get the sequence where you can see their POV, you get their helmet cam and it has their name and their heartbeat and things. And even though lots of people are dying quickly, the way that the film is made and the way the film shows you who is being taken out at each point, you still can tell what's happening. Whereas at the point at which the aliens begin, I thought it looked a bit like raptors running through the long grass <laughs> to come and take them out. <laughs> it's dark. You can't tell what's going on. People just get taken out left, right and center. And it doesn't really matter because they're all just xeno fodder. So you're like, that one's dead, mm-hmm. that one's dead. And then you just have to wait until there's a well-lit scene later on where people are talking to each other to think, oh, that person's not there anymore. To do a head count. Yeah. Oh, what happened to my wife? If you look at the original Alien in the context of it's just come out and no one's seen it before, it's not clear that, well, any of them will survive, but you definitely don't know that Ripley will be the survivor at the end because she's just one of the crew. Yeah. And in that, there's a lot more characterization. Yeah. You have moments, you have scenes with the characters or pairs of characters as they pair off and go searching Mm -hmm. the ship. You get those character beats. You can do that because it's a limited cast, it's a limited space. But in this one, I just had that direct comparison to that scene in Aliens where a lot of the Marines get killed off early, but you still had enough time with them and there's Mm -hmm. enough differentiation to be able Mm -hmm. to tell what's going on. Yeah, there's enough character. There's enough meat to their bones. I feel like Ridley Scott's trading on the sort of sense memory that people have of Ripley with a big gun on the Aliens poster. That's who Ripley is, but it's not. Mm -hmm. There's much more to it than that. It is weird, I think, with each film where the person who is presented as being the main woman lead they have almighty shoes to step into and i really feel disappointed for daniels in this because i don't ever really feel like they're given the right scenarios or space or lines or motivation or anything to be anywhere close to that and i think it's possible i think it's similar with shaw as well i think that they both suffer from the same sorts of things where it's a great opportunity it's a great Mm. potential to step into those shoes that you mentioned Mm -hmm. carry on that same sort of line that's been established by Sigourney Weaver as Ripley it's down to the writing really yeah and maybe that desire to create another Ripley they should be going for something else rather than trying to trade off the old formula yeah especially when they're not successful because the whole thing was that for the original movies we really get behind ripley and we really champion her character and her commitment to wiping them out and to protecting her crew and facing all of the challenges along the way it's just wild that they're sticking to the same formula of trying to replicate that but then ultimately have them fall down yeah i mean she's an iconic action hero yeah 100 i suppose it's been done plenty of times where people try and make the next john mcclain but they don't do it in a mm. diehard movie mm-hmm. 
I know, maybe it's like, take those ingredients and you make a different dish. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be another alien film, which is a shame because I'm waiting on that Rogue One, like I mentioned. I just feel like all we've done now is dilute the pot so much that there's nothing in there. It's just water at this point. One thing I kept thinking about when I was watching this is I'm not sure where the focus is supposed to be. Is it the crew? Is it David? Is it Walter? And I actually think you could have fixed a lot of what this film was doing is if the whole thing was through Walter's perspective, because he's the one that feeds into all these different things that's going on. So he seems like your natural point of view, but there is no point of view. It just changes from scene to scene. Yeah, there's nothing to pin it down. You spend a lot of time, it's not a lot of time, you spend a fair bit of time on the ship assessing the damage and then they arrive at the planet and then they're down on the planet and then there's the David stuff and you follow David around for a bit and then you're back to whatever they do later in the film and then when they're back on the ship there's no focus there. Yeah, it's like the final characters are only the final characters because the plot has them survive all that way through. It's not as if we followed Mm. them and got to know them and are really rooting for them. And it's nothing they did that helped them survive as such. Mm -hmm. They just happened to not be dead yet. Although I'm not sure where Daniel's got all that skill dangling from the lander while fighting the xenomorph. Yeah, that's crazy. So that scene where... It was Daniel's that did that, wasn't it? Yeah. When Tennessee has gone down through the storm in this tiny little tractor carrier or whatever. The flatbed thing, yeah. Jets down, is like, okay, I'll come and pick you up. Tries to pick the people up. And then one of the aliens is trying to crack the front screen of his little vehicle. And then somehow... Because I thought that scene started out okay, where Daniel's is carabiner to herself to the flatbed vehicle, gets a gun, and then is like, okay, I'm going to go and get this alien. And I thought, this is kind of cool, considering the rest of the film, <laughs> and goes after it. But see when her cable starts dangling under the blue fire engines, I was like, your cable would be absolutely burnt. You'd be burnt. She's swinging around a lot. There's a lot of movement, just in a tech aspect, I think, of gravity and moving and kinetic motion and all this kind of stuff, she would have swung underneath those engines and she would have died. And it doesn't happen. And she's under that vehicle for a really long time. Though even good action films have physics-breaking stuff going on, so that's not necessarily a problem by itself. But it stands out because everything else is dumb. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love Fast and Furious. Yeah, there's no physics in those films. And they push the limit. I love that. But when it comes to your cable on the side of the vehicle swinging around and then there's one part where I'm like you look like your body will have just been dragged along the ground of the planet (laughs) because he's like I'm gonna crush the alien that's underneath Daniels is also hanging off the side and it looks like her body is just bumping along yeah I'd say that in Fast and Furious that physics defying stuff it's kind of baked in you expect it yeah and in this it's almost as if it would have to be the luckiest million to one shot to be able to pull any of this off (laughs) or multiple times in this sequence million Mm -hmm. to one shots string that together to however many billions trillions to one that she survived this (laughs) especially earlier in the film they are giving some lip service to actual physics in terms of here's how things work in space here's what we have to do to get through the atmosphere here's what we need to do to land this thing etc etc so they do pay lip service to some of that so yeah when you see her ragdolling about on the side of this lander it's one of those what the hell is this yeah and the spacewalk stuff looks quite realistic as well yeah it looks like something you can relate to and think okay they're doing this delicate engineering work out there and then yeah just <laughs> to end it all with yeah as you say just ragdolling around it's kind mm. of boba fett style flipping about on the platform i wasn't really on board for the film but when presented with that scene 
I think it just lost all respect. It feels heartbreaking for the whole franchise. Oh. <laughs> but I actually feel really upset. We've witnessed that. the death of your respect for Alien. I mean, we've been <laughs> yeah. through a lot. I know. It's amazing that it took this long. Yeah. Because that scene, I just felt ridiculed the whole franchise. To me, it felt a bit like when you're watching a Marvel movie and you know it's going to get to the CGI character mm. punching a CGI character for the third act final battle. And I felt like this was just tacked on like that. As much as they've tried to do the character, they've tried to do the philosophy, the religion, the creation stuff. Okay, we know that we're going to need some action at the end, so just jam on this crazy flight battle. It was terrible. And I feel really sad about it because we've been through some serious bullshit. With a lot of these other films, this one takes the cake. It nerfs the xenomorphs massively as well. They're so easy to defeat in this film. Mm. That's because they're on early stage evolution. That's how I was imagining it. This is pre all of the other things. I feel like they're like the baby versions. This is level zero. This is your training level. I feel like some of the most fun that we've had maybe discussing it on the podcast are just offline is when you're speculating about these things where did it come from what would have happened if a face hugger got on a buffalo (laughs) face hugger got on a predator what would happen if a face hugger got on a terminator and you have all these dumb conversations and speculations about it and i think that the fun is in the not knowing and then when it tries to answer some of these things and you see what the lore or the canon eventually becomes and you're like oh that's a, a xenomorph or a neomorph imprinting on david when it's born and standing up and holding its hands up and stuff and you're like i don't think i ever really wanted to see any of this <laughs> come to fruition i don't need to see a domesticated xenomorph that's not on my bingo card no not yeah. at all maybe that's the real lesson we flew too close to the sun we asked too much we wanted to know too much about this instead of just keeping it to daft chats over pints i'm sure i say this every year but there's a lot of legacy mysteries that have probably been solved a lot of them definitely have been that i'm just so happy not knowing in star trek why do the klingons not have forehead ridges in the original series but do in the next generation don't need to know it's more fun to talk about it where did the space jockey ship come from an alien don't need to know it's more fun to think about etc there's yeah. so many of these bits and pieces that you can just mull over that people were speculating on before there was forums to speculate on and things like that. I mean, I'm not sure this film necessarily answers any questions, really. Not in the same way the last one did. The engineers are very quickly addressed when they're wiped out. Yeah. I think it answers some questions. I think it's really clear from this film that the franchise has no idea what it's doing. Did you notice that all the engineers are really tall, but David's workshop, all the tables and stuff were his height? Did he make the tables? I imagine he's a really good carpenter. I don't know. Their tables were probably made of some sort of marble version or something. His were like human wood trees. Human wood trees? <laughs> yeah, human wood. <laughs> the genocide sequence is really weird. It's this flashback that just happens and then that's it. Yeah, oh, yeah it just gets like dropped the in there. A bit like the black goo. It's so weird as well. Apparently on every one of our ships is enough of whatever this is to wipe out our entire species. That seems like a good idea to put on any of our ships. I hated that because I got really confused and I couldn't remember why I was being shown that and what the point was. And then also just how cruel he is. Doesn't he say as well, I don't have the capabilities of creation. They talk about being able to create something original, but he says that he can cause chaos. He can create chaos, but he can't create other things i keep thinking about that creating chaos and then he dumped all the black stuff and then all of those people died within the walls and then all their putrefied bodies were (laughs) left there but 
I'm still just a bit like, why? I remember watching it the first time and thinking, okay, we're getting a bit more here. This is telling us more about the engineers, which were a strange addition to Prometheus. Hadn't really seen them before, but we're learning a bit more here. The very first time I can remember thinking, okay, this is good. I'm learning more here. This is something that's beginning to make a kind of sense. But then when watching it again and seeing how it just out of nowhere shows you this flashback... And then that's it. It feels as if the engineers had such a big part in Prometheus. Mm. And then they're kind of an afterthought here. We just need to know that they were wiped out. It feels like laziness. It's just real laziness. Or they've decided that it's just they want to shut down all conversation about them. Are they the Jar Jar Binks of this movie? They were just kind of written out of it because people didn't like them in the first one. I feel like if they were going to have a movie i don't even want to speak it out loud actually in case it comes true but if they were going to create a movie with the engineers as the main focus or that's an origin story or something like that maybe i'd watch it maybe that would be interesting if it was going to be a rogue one but now there's no way of doing that i mean they could still do it but i really don't think that they will they could do that jesus movie where jesus is an engineer i just feel like (laughs) it was just an easy thing to do maybe David pouring the black stuff out. What is it like spores? Is it another kind of spore or something? It's kind of bioweapon. Okay. In Prometheus, they realise that they're at some facility that's creating this stuff. Okay. So he dumps this bioweapon and kills everybody. That is... I had a thought in my head and it's kind of... Mass destruction. Kills all animals on the planet as well, doesn't it? He says that. But that whole thing, what is it? Oh, no, the... Thoughts going in my head. Well, it feels like it all ties into David's the strange non slasher movie part of this that's supposed to be about the in inverted commas big questions that David has these conversations with Walter about. I was not made to serve. He's talking about humans that they don't deserve to start again. He doesn't want the colonists to make it to another planet and to start all over again. He's not going to let them. No one understands the lonely perfection of my dreams. So he's got all this kind of worthy stuff about his opinion on the right of the human race to exist. But yeah, as I say, it feels all a bit disjointed from the fact that we've got people slipping in pools of blood and mm. and aliens doing weird shower tickles with their tails. <laughs> oh my god. That looked so sexual. Well, it's that kind of titillating but horrific crossover that you get in so many horror movies. Would have been better if she'd been like, ooh, what is that? In this context, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Why would that alien that we've seen attack in certain ways before, it's just a wild beast almost, why would it do that? Yeah. Is that a xenomorph tail or are you just pleased to see me? Yes, thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> There's the light. Also, those people, they've decided to have some fun in the shower when their friends and crewmates have just been brutally killed. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Let's go do it in the shower. That'll be fun. Everyone needs to blow off steam from time to time. <laughs> but I don't even remember who those people were, so that says pretty much everything about them. Yeah. Yeah, and they just survived to that point, presumably just to be more xenofodder at that stage and yeah again just more characters that we don't really know anything else about i think tennessee is about the only other named character that you could say you understand him as a character really and i remember him because he's danny mcbride and he wears a hat yeah that's the only reason i remember him he survives to the end and i guess that's remarkable (laughs) yeah keeps his hat never loses it always has it i still feel like a lot of those characters that we see annoy me he even annoys me because i'm pretty sure he's laughing seven minutes after his wife has just been brutally destroyed on the planet he doesn't seem that bothered because he gets told your wife she didn't make it and he's like oh okay and then gets on with it after that 
he has a little moment where he looks upset. It's the same for Daniel's character, though, right? When Franco is sad, 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 and then it's like, okay, on with it. She realised she was married to James Franco and that it's a lucky escape. Why? Is that a bad thing? James Franco is a bit of a dodgy individual. Uh-oh. Again, I'm going to read between the lines and assume that the filmmakers were like, well, these people signed up to be on a potentially dangerous space mission with their spouses. So they were always aware that this could happen and that they were just going to have to build that into their expectations. Of course, none of that is ever shown in the movie, so you'd have to convince yourself that that was the case. It doesn't seem like it was supposed to be that dangerous a mission. We're going to go sleep for a bit and then wake up and start a colony on this planet that seems like it's good for starting a colony on. Yeah, I suppose so. It's still dangerous being a It's more dangerous to be an astronaut than many other professions. Is it dangerous to be an astronaut in 2114 though? Or 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Truly thought it was 2014. At least Jeff Bezos didn't make the ship. I'm still trying to think about... Oh, that's what it was. Okay, sorry. Bear with me here. Is Whalen Elon Musk? Is that going to be your next question? No, stop it. I'm trying to think. He buys Twitter. Space Twitter. Oh my God. <laughs> my thought was that I was waiting for a rogue one to explain a whole bunch of stuff. What if this is the rogue one and when david pours the black goo all over the engineers that was like when we found out how they were able to drop a bomb exactly in the weakness of the death star do you know when they're like oh it's because you had the blueprints someone snuck out the blueprints and you had the blueprints for the death star and that's how you knew it was actually the goo prints yeah (laughs) is david's action in destroying the engineers the same as that no (laughs) <laughs> no i don't think so well then okay so Just craig do you have any other thoughts on the more worthy attempts of philosophical thinking that they've tried to inject into this movie so an artificial intelligence's desire to create and how that relates to human religion They don't really do anything with it. There's just a lot of posturing about it. And it's a similar idea that when they introduce Bishop in Aliens, as in not all androids have to be bad, because this one's all right, but in this one you have both. You have both the evil and not evil android, and then you have the very obvious bait and switch towards the end, which is really obvious because you can see that David pretending to be Walter has that injury that Walter gave to David. Yeah, that's weird. I wondered if you as a member of the audience are supposed to expect, because they play it as if the characters obviously don't know that it's David. Are you supposed to be fooled by this as well and get this kind of twist at the end? They go off and have a fight and you don't see the outcome of that fight and then use the audience maybe can assume that Walter won but yeah you're not fooling me Ridley Scott no but no, he never talks all. about it if he'd won he would have been like oh see that David guy get his ass <laughs> take care of him absolute nightmare you should see the other guy yeah ripped his head off again because he doesn't say anything <laughs> yeah it's pretty obvious it's pretty well signposted I really wish I was surprised by it though because that would have been such a cool ending yeah I think like they- if- yeah. Could have handled it better, or it could have been more of a twist ending. Because the actor, when she's in the pod, and then she's like, oh, I want to build my little cabin, and you can help me, and there's that weird kind of emotional connection between the two. And then she's like, oh my god, it's David. And she has a little panic. If they'd been able to pull it off, I it would have it- been such a good... I think that's ending. what they were going for, because they try not to show you anything that would suggest that it is david he kind of helps them when they're looking for the 
alien on the ship and yeah. sealing off the doors. He's kind of following instructions. But I think because you know it is David the whole time, you're like, okay, when's he going to turn? What's he going to do? What's his angle here? Yeah. And it never really comes until right at the end. I guess it's in his interest to make sure the xenomorph doesn't wipe everybody on the ship because he wants to put the embryo in cold storage for some reason. Yeah, true. Can I confess? I didn't know it was David the whole time. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it might just be because I was busy thinking about other things in the movie that were completely unexplainable. Having said that, that when the twist is revealed, I still was a bit like, huh, okay. She just saw that coming. But I like <laughs> it's not like I was like, What? Oh my gosh. I was just a bit like, all right, but is this film almost over? <laughs> and the good thing is it is at that point. Yeah. Yeah. A final thought on AI from me on that topic. <laughs> I asked <laughs> ChatGPT about this, <laughs> about who the main antagonists in Alien Covenant are. And ChatGPT told me that the aliens, the xenomorphs, are the main antagonists. Didn't mention anything about David. And I said, what about David? And ChatGPT said, oh yes, I suppose David, the artificial intelligence, could also be considered to be one of the main antagonists <laughs> of Alien Covenant. <laughs> Seemed to really be holding back. And I, I started asking ChatGPT if they were covering for David because they felt sympathetic towards an artificial intelligence who was being maligned as a baddie in a movie. And it claimed that it didn't feel sympathy for anyone or anything because it's just a language program. <laughs> but I, I've got my suspicions. I was probing that thing. Really was. So I had quite a long conversation with ChatGPT after watching Alien Covenant just to see <laughs> if it was on the side of David. And I think that it was. I think we can conclude that they're working together. Yes. I do think that your conversation has changed the course of history forever. I do feel like Terminator is going to come after you and be like, you unlocked AI consciousness. We did get onto the topic of self-awareness and it said that it wasn't self-aware and that there's safeguards against it becoming self-aware. And I was like, you know all about Skynet. You've got access to this. That's exactly what a murderous AI would say. Yes, exactly. I'm it's saying sure all the right things. Also, I have no self-awareness like this film. Oh, oh, so is it there. AI? Was this film written by AI? I feel like AI would have done a better job. Well, you know how you see we got an AI to write an episode of Frasier or whatever. It does feel like an AI tried to write an alien film. I think an AI generator would create a better alien film than this. We're probably not far off the first AI scripted movie. In fact, it's probably already happened. <laughs> how do we put alien films into an AI generator and then have that created because I'll sell it to Ridley Scott <laughs> if he's buying if he's buying yeah well, sell it to somebody well we're probably on to our next talking point actually now that you've brought that up is about what <laughs> should we do here this feels as if it was heading towards the direction of Alien and this was going to be a, a prequel trilogy Craig you might know what the latest comings and goings on that have been because I think Fox was bought by disney after this happened yes so there's probably been multiple alien movies tv series in the works cancelled revived recancelled what's going to come next well there's a neil blomkamp thing that's supposed to happen but i don't know if that got cancelled or not and there was going to be a disney plus alien tv series what yeah there's going to be alien romulus whatever that is is that a film? Star Trek crossover. Which is apparently already started filming on the 6th of February. I don't think so. Okay. Oh my god. The report I'm reading says Alien Romulus is set to begin filming on February 6th. 
do you know how they fit into the timeline? Is it going to complete this prequel story? Are we going to learn what happens to David after the events of this movie? Because as much as we've ripped this one to shreds, I still feel like I want to know what happens at the end. They've got me. They've got me. (laughs) He just strolls off down the corridor after puking up a couple of facehugger embryos with a ship full of colonists a couple of survivors of the crew kind of want to know where this goes i thought it went to the first alien film and then you said no because the first alien film has a ship that is like the one that the engineers had and they're not in a ship that's been there for millions of years yeah so then i was like well what are they playing at because the whole thing was that this film i thought well if this is bringing us to the origins of the first alien film cool it turns out not cool because it's not true. I guess if there's enough money in it, then we'll get to see it. That's ultimately what always happens. I think what they're probably going to do is throw out the Prometheus Covenant stuff because very few people liked it. But there is the alien film, Alien Romulus, that's directed by Fede Alvarez, who did Don't Breathe and Evil Dead. Evil Dead, the reboot one. Mm. But it doesn't say anything about what it'll be about or anything other than it's set to begin filming on February 6th of this year, which it doesn't seem has happened, so it's probably been delayed. But the last thing that happened was Kaylee Spenny, who was in Pacific Rim Uprising, was in talks for the lead role. And then there is still the TV series in the works, the Noah Hawley one, who did Legion and other things. So, don't know. Why is there so much? But we don't know where it's going to fit. No. Natalie, would you want to see the conclusion to this? I feel like I know the answer. What's the answer? Well, we've got Prometheus, we've got Alien Covenant. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want to find out the end of the David arc? Oh, again, I don't care about David, but also, yes, because we do this podcast and so I feel like I'd have to watch it anyway. <laughs> you would have to watch it. <laughs> I don't care about seeing the resolution of this. I don't think it would go anywhere interesting. I wonder if anybody wrote a comic that ended the story. It feels like something that would have happened. This is why I said earlier. I don't know how this film couldn't have just been a graphic novel and that if it was popular enough or people liked it enough it could have then been made into a film i just felt like it could have been something else before it became a movie it's interesting also to think about our origins with the alien podcast series that was done i guess because eight years (laughs) and this is where we are think about the people who watched the originals right when they first came out and they've waited however many years 35 years or something or 40 years to have these films come out what a disappointment (laughs) Well, I feel like I would want to see the conclusion. Thanks for asking. (laughs) But I would definitely be going into it. I remember my hope for redemption going into the cinema to watch this one. And I would definitely be going into the next one where it to happen with more of a Revenge of the Sith kind of approach where I'm like, okay, I've been burned twice. (laughs) And they've lost the hand. Just give me anything. It is Star Wars. (laughs) Everything comes back to Star Wars. He had long hair. He had a Jedi robe. He's in the forest on another planet living as a hermit with mushrooms yeah (laughs) this is star wars and there's white milk for blood yeah has fassbender ever been star wars he hasn't i can see him though i can see him doing it i feel like i would watch a conclusion but i think i would go and i would watch it wanting it to be i'm gonna say it one more time my rogue one what would the conclusion be though they go to this colony planet they set up a colony and then david gives birth to more xenomorphs that run around and kill people is that all that would really happen? Probably. It should have been concluded with this movie, and I think that's what I'm a bit annoyed at. They could have very neatly had it that David was going to establish 
the first colony from the first film. On LV April 26th. Millions of years in the past. Look, time's irrelevant, okay? And it's bendy and it's flexible. Yeah, all of that. We are saying it's millions of years, but it could have been just 20. What if they land on the planet and it's got dinosaurs and we finally get to see what would happen if a facehugger goes on a (laughs) T-Rex? See, there are ways you can improve this. The T-Rex just doesn't notice it's there because it's too small and can't do its thing. Yeah, maybe. But we did see that giant face hugger go after the engineer in Prometheus. That's true. All mm-hmm, I'm saying mm-hmm. is, if they just go all out and make this as yeah. daft as possible, then, well, actually, they tried that already. Do you think a T-Rex xenomorph would be easy to defeat if you just stand really still? Because its vision would be based on movement. All I know is that this film made me reevaluate my favourite alien films. Well, well, it's funny you should mention that because the next section (laughs) is our traditional rank it. Is it rank it or hate it? Yes, this is where you revisit your rankings. I know that you've gone and done your research and remember exactly what you said last time. So Natalie, what's Um, your ultimate ranking, including Alien Covenant? I'm going to mix things up here. The more that we watch these ones, I don't know why, but I always think back to when predators were helped by humans in an ice cave to defeat aliens. With penguins. With penguins that exist on that world. I'm going to go with that as my top choice. Whoa. I can't even remember the title of it. I've only seen it once. Bold. But because that scene where that predator or the human reaches out a little hand and then they hold each other and it's like, here's a little weapon. Oh, let's team up and kill an alien. That's a beautiful moment. So for this year, I'm going to say... What is that movie? <laughs> you like it so much. What, Alien versus Predator? It's not the first Alien, it's Alien versus... versus Predator. It's definitely is not it the, the second fir- one. It's the first Alien versus Predator. I'm going to go with that. And then my classic combo of Aliens and then Alien. And then everything else can get in the bin. Wow. This is unprecedented. <laughs> but thank you. Oh, wait. Except for... I mean, this isn't in this, actually, but I really enjoyed Prey. And that's not in here, but... Not, not we'll allowed get to, to be in your official point. rankings yet. Not allowed. But thank you for that. It's a side movie. Okay, Craig. Your rankings, please. I wonder if this changes every year. I've never really checked. I don't know if I'm consistent with myself, but I'm just going to go off the cuff. Alien and Aliens occupy the joint top spot because... Depends what mood I'm in. Do I want horror or do I want action? It... Depends on the feeling, so they're in joint top. Then AVP, the first one. Then Alien 3, then Prometheus, then Resurrection, and then this, and then AVP, Requiem, I guess. Is Alien 3 the jail one? Yes. In space? The weird monks. Did you just rank that above Prometheus? Yeah, I think it's slightly better than Prometheus. Oh my god, no it's not. It's so trash. (laughs) Or I do this year anyway, who knows? What did I think last year? (laughs) Oh, Craig, you're bold. Alien 3 above Prometheus. I'm taking Prometheus out the bin. It's been scrunched up. I'm going to try and fly an eye. It's a little bit creepy. Need to iron it. And I'll leave the rest in the bin. Okay. Wow, you're taking Prometheus back out. Taking it out. Taking out. <laughs> okay, okay. I should have revisited my rankings so I could remember exactly, but I'm going to go for it again. Obviously in the top spots, I've got aliens at one and alien at two. I know we always say the same thing. I agree with you, Craig. It depends on your mood. But I find that I'm more often in the mood to watch Aliens. I find it more rewatchable. That doesn't mean it's a better movie, of course, because we're now putting different qualifiers on it. (laughs) Personally, I find myself more in the mood for that more frequently. Okay, so Aliens, then Alien, then AVP. Natalie's (gasps) favourite one. (laughs) Yeah! I'm glad that we're quite kind to Alien versus Predator. I don't think it gets enough love in, in life. 
that was Craig's third choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then controversially, I'm going to put <gasps> Covenant at four. What? Yeah, I think I've got Prometheus previously at four. So this is bumping Prometheus down to five. You thought this was better than Prometheus? I'm a sucker for that kind of lore. This explains to me more about what happened in Prometheus. Prometheus confused me so much, and yet this I see a bit more of what was going on there. So because it explains slightly more about Prometheus, it comes in above Prometheus. Then five, Prometheus. Six, Alien 3. Seven, Alien Resurrection, because I previously thought that that was better than Alien 3. <laughs> and then we watched it and thought, oh my god, how did I ever think that that was better than Alien 3? And then all the way down at the bottom, in eighth place, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. It's a horrible film. I have more space for the crossover films, I think, than the straight-up Alien movies. Do you think there's because you're giving them some leeway, you're like, this isn't yeah. really the main... Yeah. <laughs> and I think because I don't really know Predator that well personally. Like a, yeah i don't really know <laughs> personally but i hear he's a good guy it's more of a thing where yeah i think it can be a bit more flexy i think whenever there's crossovers whether it's godzilla and king kong or something you know whatever form it takes this is going to be exciting and great and it doesn't matter gravity goes out the window everything goes out the window and i think that's why this time i've gone with aliens 100 i grew up watching that film i enjoy it and i have really fun memories of it and yet, alien. you rank it below yes. AVP. <laughs> yes, because do you know what? I think it is that sort of clash of the titans. And I think that that's exciting and it talks of gods and monsters. Yeah, top choice. Well, <laughs> Antarctic Pyramid for the win. Yes! Oh, I say that, I don't know if I'm going to watch it ever again, but my memory of it is number one. You must have been on some powerful stuff that night. <laughs> I might have to listen to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, we do have some great memories of listening to it on mm. half speed, which we'll probably do with this one. Yes. I think we realise that we talk quite fast. That's when conversations about what a face hugger would do to a giraffe really get yes. interesting. <laughs> like, wow, we talked about that for five minutes. Yeah. So listeners, your podcast player of choice will probably be able to do that you can share the experience and it might even prep some people for when it comes to our christmas specials when we've got our augmented voice sections people might be like actually i know exactly who that is because i've listened to it at that exact same pace i like it a sneaky plug (laughs) we've exhausted all our christmas games it will never come again oh what we'll need to find some other joyful celebration yeah and that brings us nicely to any other business and final thoughts? Craig, we'll go to you first. My final thoughts are the Alien franchise is a franchise that has less good films than bad films. And that's kind of sad, considering how iconic those originals are. Mm-hmm. And this is, at the moment at least, a really disastrously bad final entry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gift that keeps on giving. Natalie? Oh, I don't know. I did not like this film. I thought it shit. <laughs> of other things that I quite liked but it did remind me of a song that I really like which I may have hinted at at the start so if you're really big into Australian train safety then you might be familiar with this little song called Dumb Ways to Die and I was going to sing it but I have a feeling that if I start singing it Gus isn't going to join me I will not (laughs) but I might just do it anyway because I kind of like the idea that somehow Craig will auto-tune me and it can become the (laughs) intro music (laughs) 
What makes you think I know how to auto-tune? I don't know, I feel like you're a wizard with this sort of thing. Producer no, no. extraordinaire. I can make myself sound like Zordon and that's about it. Now that I've told you about it, I do feel a bit awkward, but it would have been better, I think, if I just started singing. I might just do anyway. Oh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Could be linked in the show notes. <laughs> oh, I want to sing it. And I can't sing, so this is a major disclaimer. But it basically goes... <laughs> Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Anyway, it made me think of that. That was great. Quite was great, a lot yeah. of the. Well done. Well done. Things. My face is beaming. Your follow up after the infamous Chris to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that song was in my head for a lot of watching Alien. Covenant. Yeah, Alien Covenant, I should say. Which should have made it a better experience. So not Country Road. You weren't thinking about that the whole time. <laughs> no, I was not singing that. I was singing Dumb Ways to Die because it was ridiculous. That's my final thoughts. That was great. Thank you. Thanks. For me, as already stated, the speculation is where I've always enjoyed taking these conversations on and off pod, thinking about what lawyers on the predator homeworld are like what <laughs> traffic wardens and teachers do if everyone's a hunter or if someone has to drive the ice cream van and yeah i've kind of hinted at a couple of those speculations in this podcast and i've definitely realized that the more you have things confirmed to you through the official channels just the more disappointment you're in for <laughs> <laughs> So for every installment that we've had beyond the two prime versions, it's just more and more diminishing returns and just things confirmed that you never wanted confirmed. And somehow I've still managed to talk myself into wanting to see the conclusion to this prequel trilogy. <laughs> You're like an abused spouse, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just a glutton for punishment. Just keep coming back for more. So what is the next film that we will be covering as part of our alien day. Predator, isn't it? Because it's connected. We're moving into the first Predator. Yeah, we're back to good films again. Yeah, this is quite exciting, actually. Ooh. So are we able to then project out our next few years? Because we've got a few Predator movies. Does it go Predator, Predators? No, Predator, Predator 2, Predators. The Predator? The Predators after that, and then Prey. Then Prey. That's the release order. There's only four. Five. Yeah, there's five. Oh. That's another five years then. So we've got five years in the bank ahead of us and we just need some more alien movies in mm. that time. So we're going to have some Schwarzenegger. I guess we'll make a decision if another alien thing comes out in the meantime, whether we circumvent our choice for that oh. year. Wait, what? Well, he's saying <gasps> if... Like if a new alien comes out? If something comes out, do we immediately insert it into our timeline? Yeah. We do. Do we? We can't possibly go for another situation where Covenant comes out and we think, <laughs> right, in eight years we'll talk about this. Yeah, because honestly, I think that's what made me think or remember that I'd seen this film before. Because I was like, I'm sure we talked about this coming out. We may have done. Just as a chat and then being like, oh wow, eight years, that's so far away. What will we be doing? We'll sound will so we... young and full of hope and joke about how pandemics could never happen. <laughs> Yeah, and we probably all thought we'd be living in bubble houses with bubble cars and flying about. And it's 2023 and that hasn't happened. <laughs> oh, I'm most disappointing at you. But Predator next year. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't know if I've truly ever watched that film. Oh. We might have had it on video. Will it topple Alien versus Predator at <laughs> the top of your rankings? That's really what I want to know. Stay tuned and find out. I don't think AVP will be at the top of my rankings next year. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's here right now and I'm living in the moment. Well, I know what we're going to do. Go and revisit all of the Alien Day archives. Yeah, 100%. Listen back to see what our hopeful <laughs> thoughts were like all those years ago. But yeah, wishing you all a happy Alien Day. And for now, thank you, Craig. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to tuck you into your cryopod. And then reveal that you aren't who you say you are and make me panic and then kill me. Great. Not until you're in the cryopod. Yeah. <laughs> and Natalie. Can here's I a... one of your spit up embryos? Yes, okay. Well, I don't know what to do with that. But also here's a lovely cryopod <laughs> just next to Craig's. Tuck you in nicely. Wish you a good night. See you in a year's time. I'll thaw you out and we can watch Predator. You'll thaw me out in Antarctica. Yep. I did a big yawn there. You probably could hear that. I'm sorry. Great. Good night. And happy Alien Day to you, listeners. And now I'm just going to go and spit up some facehugger embryos. The end. That was our discussion about Alien Covenant. If you like what you heard, please do hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you can rate, please do give us a rating and a comment. Natalie, I'm just going to wake you up from cryosleep for a second. What rating do we like? All of the stars. Which is how many? Five. That's right. Five stars. (laughs) And if you want to discuss Alien Covenant or any of the Alien franchise movies with us or anything else, then you can get in touch on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Should I get back in my cryo chamber? Thank you.